Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, 14 through 22. If you're there, say amen. amen. Wonderful. Love to hear the pages turning or your phones clicking, beeping or whatever they do. Beginning in verse 14, listen to God's word. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, <laughs> Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Praise God this morning. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. In the past verse, we looked at Peter and John before the council. They were arrested and they were brought in. And then they were put on trial by the Sadducees. Now, what did the Sadducees believe? Or let's, let's rephrase that. What did they not believe? The resurrection, that's right. So, here we have this trial of Peter and John after they had already uh, preached, if you will, to the high priestly family. We know that they are rejecting the teachings of Peter and John and the man standing there with them that's healed. And when they were asked of their source of strength by which the man was healed, Peter and John answer. This is what they answer. That this power is by the risen Savior. That it's Jesus who raised this man up. It is Jesus who performed this miracle through us. It is Jesus, the cornerstone, whom you've rejected. And they speak and they, and they come back to these, these Sadducees and they tell them this. And so you see the boldness of the, the two disciples, these two preachers. Two preachers confounding and, and basically they're stomping the Sadducees. They don't know what to do. The Sadducees are clueless. They have no idea what to do. The deliberation of the high priestly family had to be done in private. And there was a reason why it had to be done in private. It had to be done in private because if people saw that they couldn't they couldn't stand against these simple men. Well, what would it make them look like? 
They were ignorant. This was something that they couldn't, they couldn't help. They couldn't stand against Peter and John and the man that was lame. So they go into their private quarters, right? And they're like, we got, we got to do something about this. They were completely stumped by Peter and John and this healed man. And this is where we pick up in verse 14. Listen to what it says. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Like I said, they were stumped. And I would even, I would even uh, say that this is, this is a miracle of some sort. And the reason why I would say that is because you truly have two simple men with another simple man that's just been healed before the high priestly family and they cannot say a word to them because they cannot deny the power of God. Plain and simple. They cannot deny the power of God. It says, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, standing, you see that? They had nothing to say in opposition. And this verse is full of the display of God's power. Absolutely full of the display of God's power. We see first, we see the man standing. Is that right? That is right. We see the man standing. This is a display of God's power. Without a doubt, this is a display of God's power. He was lame for 40 years from his birth. And now God's power has been poured out and this man is standing. He is not seating or seated. He is not sitting. He is standing. I probably wouldn't sit down for another 40 years if I'd been 40 years on my backside. Right? He's standing. He had something to stand for. He was standing strictly through the power of God. He could not put the credit to anybody else. This beggar. And he's standing before the high priestly family. This is important that we see this because this would not be a place that he should be. But now, because he is yoked up with John and Peter, he is standing before the high court. Standing there with them, side by side. You notice that he did not want to leave them alone. He wanted to be with them. And let me suggest one reason that is. is because believers should want to be with each other. I sent a text out last night to everybody that I could possibly think of, try to make a genuine effort to come and to gather together. Because there's power in numbers. There is strength in numbers when we come together to worship the Lord. Don't take for granted the opportunity that we have to come on the Lord's day, His day, and to lift up who He is. This man that was standing stood with Peter and John. And we should stand with each other. We should stand with each other. Do we see how fast the Lord can exalt the weak? One minute he's at the beautiful gate sitting down. He cannot get up. He is lame. His tendons are are messed up. He He is sitting down. And the next minute... 
He is standing in the high priestly court. You see how fast the Lord can exalt the weak? How fast he can exalt the nothings, the simple, the uneducated, the unpolished, the unkept? Do you see how fast that the tables can be turned and the tides can be flipped? Do you see how fast God can take something that is nothing and call it and make it something? This is what happens in this text. Even with Peter and with John, not just the man. This man went from begging on his behind to standing before the Sadducees with Peter and John. This is truly a demonstration of God's power. Second, we see Peter and John, the simple, uneducated, unlearned fishermen. The simple, uneducated, unlearned fishermen standing before the Sadducees. Not just the man, but these two disciples as well. Guys, we have to understand something. These were nothing men. Do you understand me? Men that were just going about their daily grind. Men that were just working, going about doing their fishing. Their livelihood. In the world's eyes, they they were nothing. But God called them to be something. Just like in the beginning. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. What did he do? He called something out of nothing. And what does this do to the wise? What does it do to the, the, to the arrogant? What does it do to those that have exalted themselves? It brings them down to nothing. When the weak are made strong, the wise are made ignorant. When the weak are made strong, the, the, the strong are made weak. We see this. I read this in the passage of Scripture earlier. I read it earlier in uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. We're going to read it here in just a moment. But these were nothing men. And yet they were so anointed by the Holy Spirit. They were nothing, but they were so anointed by the Holy Spirit This was the same man who tried to tell Jesus, Simon Peter, that the things that were going to happen to him weren't going to happen to him. You remember? This is Simon Peter. This is is the guy that, that acted like a numbskull sometimes. But now here he is and he he is he is anointed with the Holy Spirit. And he stumps the wisest in the land. And we see the truth. We see the truth that the the simple is made wise. And this comes from God. They were stumped so bad, like I said earlier, they had to ask them to leave so they could talk amongst themselves and basically say this, what are we supposed to do? We see and have evidence that the man is healed The people are glorifying God. What are we supposed to do with them? They were so wise that 
they became ignorant, didn't they? <laughs> yes, yes. Amen. They run them out so that their ignorance would not be exposed. Fortunately for us, we have the gospel or the, the book of Acts written by Luke. And so we could see even their, uh, even their deliberation. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. If you have and you can turn there, you can see this. Everything that I'm saying here. And this could be a sermon all in itself, but I hate to pass it up just to get on to the next verse. Uh, listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. Applying this to Peter and John, this man that was standing there, also to the ones that were the, the supposedly the wise. It says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. That's Peter and John. Not many of you, not many were powerful. Peter and John, not many were of noble birth. That's Peter and John. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. This is why we cannot glory in our own smarts, our own wits, our own intelligence, our own knowledge and wisdom. Because if we have anything at all, it comes from God and God alone. This is what he says. But God chose what is foolish. What is foolish? When I see this, I think about me. Because I would have never preached. Ever. I would have been in the background, not raising my hand, not talking to anybody, living a quiet life, staying away, being somewhat of a recluse. And when it was to my advantage, probably come to church maybe. But God called me, the quiet one, the foolish one, to preach the greatest truth the world has ever known. He calls the weak. He calls the foolish. And when pride begins to creep in, I'm reminded of this verse all the time. Because it's by nothing that I've done. I am what I am through the power of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Period. But God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. That's the man that was busted and broken, laying down. He was weak, but now he is strong. He is standing before men that supposedly are strong, but now they have become weak in this beggar's presence. Listen to what it says. It goes on. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing or not things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And this is exactly what Peter and John were doing. 
They were boasting and they were boasting in the Lord. But let's listen to what verse 17 says because I think we see a lot here in verse 17. We try to skim over that to get to the the knockout verse, if you will, right there in verse 20 about speaking about what we've seen and heard. But if we just jump to verse 20, we miss verse 17. Listen to what it says. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. This is human reasoning at its finest. Human reasoning at its finest. That it may spread no further, let us warn them. Not to speak anymore in his name. Yeah, right. (laughs) Really? If you're convinced of something, could somebody really, really keep you from saying and speaking and controlling your tongue? Here we are, even with their rebuttal to Peter and John, even after this deliberation, this is the best that they could come up with. Don't say nothing at all. I mean, this is, this is, it's crazy to think. And, and what it is, is human reasoning. It's human reasoning. They, they, they don't know what to do. They believe by warning them they could stop the spread. Are they really trying to contain? Are they really trying to contain the miracle of the man? Well, that's already over. That's out. That's done away with. People see him. He can't go back to laying down. That would be going against his nature. That's over with. Can they really contain and stop the spread of the resurrection of Christ from the dead? No. Over 500 people saw it at one time. This, but this is what they're trying to do. This is what they're trying to do, and I think it's, it's pointless. Because what they're trying to do has already been prophesied about in Psalms chapter 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth gather around and they, and they try to put down those that love God. The anointed. Listen to what it says. These are the vain things that Psalms 2, the very things that Psalms 2 is talking about. In verse 1 in Psalms 2 it says, Why do the nation rage and the people's plot in vain? And this is what they were doing. They were raging and they were plotting in vain against Christ and against those that love Christ. Verse 2 it says, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. As a matter of fact, we're going to see Peter as he prays later on before the saints. He is going to use this very passage of Scripture. He is going to use Scripture to pray that we're going to talk about next week. But listen to what it says. Verse 3 tells us they don't want to have any part of Christ Jesus. The anointed one of the, of the Lord, they don't want to have any part. Listen to what verse 3 says in Psalms chapter 2. Let us burst their bands asunder or apart and cast, them, cast away their cords from us. 
These are the vain things. These are the things that they don't want to have anything to do with. They do not want to have the bands of the bonds, the cords of love of Christ Jesus wrapped around them. They want to go against the grain. They want to kick against the pricks. They want to do anything and everything they can to put those that love Jesus down because they don't want to have anything to do with him. Because they're, they're doing things in vain. It's vain. They didn't want to be bound by Christ. They didn't want to be bound by his love. Their plots were worthless. Do we understand that we can't contain Jesus? Amen. <laughs> I mean, it's almost crazy saying it out loud. You'd have better luck roping the moon and plugging it into your wall. You think about that. <laughs> for a light source, you would. You'd have better luck roping the moon, plugging it into your wall for a light source, for a, for a nightlight. My kids would. Than trying to contain Christ Jesus. Amen. We couldn't contain COVID. <laughs> what makes us think we could contain the creator of the universe? We can't contain him. You can't contain, you can't stop the spread of Jesus. You just can't. And this is what happened in the early church. It says the world was turned upside down because of the spread of Jesus. You cannot stop the overflowing of the heart. One that is filled with Christ, for it is well of water springing up into everlasting life. You cannot stop that. This is what was taking place with Peter and John. Their hearts were welling up. Their hearts were being filled with the presence of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and it was splashing out off of them. You can't stop it. People that have it will show it. Regardless of what people think, they will show it. It splashes on others, don't it? Peter and John walked by the man that was laying on his, on his back and was lame. A little bit splashed out on him, didn't it? The scripture teaches us very clearly that he anoints our head with oil, our cup Runs over. Out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. Why? Because it is full. And you cannot contain the spread of Jesus Christ. You just can't. Psalms 2 tells us in verse 4 that the Lord sits in glory and he laughs at those that try to. He sits in glory and laughs at those that try to stop it. He's not wringing his hands. He's laughing at the enemies because he knows that their attempts are futile. Plain and simple. Let's move on. The Lord cannot be contained. The resurrection... If Jesus Christ cannot be contained, the more people fight over it, the more it spreads. <laughs> Plain and simple. Let me give you an example. Take COVID, for instance. 
The more people are around each other, the more people get it, right? The more people that argue about this and the more people that talk about it, whether they're doing it out of selfish ambition or whether they're doing it out of a true love for Jesus Christ, the more it's spoken about, the more it's going to spread. You push it down and you're just spreading it further. You try to blow it up and it's just gonna it's just gonna go even further. You try to stomp it out, it just you just can't do it. John chapter 15 and verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. Vines are strong plants, very, very, very strong plants. Slowly but surely growing from one place to another. And I've spoken to you before about the vine. I've spoken to you before about the significance of the vine. Growing from one place to another. Crossing yards. Climbing over fences. Crossing property lines. Rocks and bricks can't even stop vines. You leave a house unkept for a period of time and a vine, ivy, will grow straight through the side of that house. Through those bricks, it'll break them and crumble them to pieces because it's strong. Why? Because it cannot be contained. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Hard hearts, beware. He can break them. <laughs> you feel him coming after you? Good luck with that. Because he's going to shatter your heart to pieces. He's going to give you a new heart, a heart of flesh that can fill instead of the heart of stone that he is currently breaking. Beware. Rocks, rocks can't stop the growth, the spread of these vines. So we can't contain, we cannot contain the immeasurable love of Christ and his resurrection. It's impossible. Peter and John couldn't help but to speak about it. 2,000 years later, <laughs> still going strong. He is the true vine. He climbs where he wills. This Jesus simply just cannot be contained. Verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people. Good luck with that. So truly, this was vanity and pride that made the Sadducees want to contain and stop the spread of this gospel message. It's vanity, it was pride. Christ never left his own little region. Maybe the furthest he traveled when he was an infant when they went into Egypt. He never left that region. But yet the whole world was turned upside down because of him. Nobody else has this claim. Nobody. It spread globally, without a doubt. Verse 17, it says, Let us warn them to speak no more 
to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. I personally believe that one of the reasons why they don't want them speaking of the resurrection is because if Peter and John are right, the Sadducees, they're out of a job. And here we have the love of money, right? They're out of a job. They're out of a position. They're out of their social status. They're out of everything that they've put their whole life into. Yes, that would be correct. Guess what? The Apostle Paul, he submitted to that. He lost everything. Remember that on Wednesday night? He lost everything so that he could gain Christ. The Sadducees did not want to do that. They didn't want to lose their livelihoods, social status, positions. They didn't want to become completely abased and brought low. And a man that is not willing to do so is a man that will stand up against the Lord. Is a man that will have pride and a man that will be found to be crushed by the very cornerstone one day. Absolutely, they would not be abased. So they do the best that they can do, and that is threaten them. And I, I've got a lot of verses about the threatenings from the enemy. <laughs> There's, it's all through the scripture. You see it really everywhere. One of the, I think one of the clearest examples is uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were thrown into the fiery furnace... Uh, before that, they were threatened. The enemy followed through with that threat. The Lord protected them and saved them during that violent uh, fire that they encountered. They were not touched and not harmed. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. He was kept and he was spared as well. And Daniel chapter 3, 12 through 18. Uh, but truly there's another one that we see that I think shows us threats and warnings more than anything, and that is Nehemiah chapter 4, 1 through 5, and then 7 and 9, Nehemiah chapter 6, 1 through 14. We know that those men continued to come to uh, Nehemiah and continued to threaten him, to continue to try to slow the work and the progress down on the completion of the walls of Jerusalem, and Nehemiah's just like, keep coming at me, keep doing what you want to do. He's still going to serve the Lord. He's still going to work on the wall and get it complete. Nehemiah did not listen to the threats. He would not let them get him down. Now, we also know that sometimes those threats are followed through with, as they were with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sometimes they're not, as they were with Nehemiah. Sometimes God delivers them as with Daniel. And sometimes he don't as with some say Isaiah when he was cut in half. The prophet. The fact remains threats and warnings come against those that love God and speak of his name. I was told in a church one time. Don't you ever forget who butters your bread. They told me that. 
Because they thought their tithe is what kept me there. What they gave to the church is what kept me there. Don't you ever forget who butters your bread. That was a threat. It happens. Those that serve the Lord, those that stand for him will be found threatened. They will be found warned. They will be found persecuted. They will be found cut in two, martyred, whatever you want to call it. But Peter and John couldn't help it. They were called to stop preaching, but God had called them to what? Preach. (laughs) So, do we obey God or do we obey man? We obey God. The Sadducees knew this quite well. We obey God all day long. Let me move on. One problem that the Sadducees are having is the fact that Peter and John are standing side by side. With a man that was healed. Witness firsthand that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. Peter and John, they witnessed firsthand. And this is what sets us apart from every other religion on the face of this planet. Peter and John witnessed firsthand that Jesus died, that he was fully dead. And that he fully rose again from the dead. Paul even defends this. He even, he's, he even tells us this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If the resurrection is not so, then everything that we do is in vain. Paraphrase, of course. They were going to be hard pressed to put Peter and John down. To keep them from speaking about this. They witnessed him after the resurrection. Over 500 people witnessed him after the resurrection. Jesus, for over a month, Jesus sat and ate with them and taught them. We have sermons in Luke showing these things. You spend a month with a person... And after a while, you're going to begin to believe that that person is real. That they smile, that they laugh, that they cry. You're going to know what they know. They're going to begin to reveal things to you. They're going to maybe even teach you some things. Christ Jesus was with his disciples for over a month. He ate with them, spent time with them, taught them. How in the world were the Sadducees going to convince them to not say anything? Well, they just weren't going to be able to. Be hard pressed to get them to be quiet and not share their story. Verse 19, listen to what it says. I'm just about done. Pay attention. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Verse 20, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
They've seen it. They've heard it. They were ear witnesses, right? And eye witnesses. You're not going to convince somebody that saw something and heard something otherwise. People may try, but it's not going to work. 1 Peter and John were told to preach by Christ. Pay attention to me. I've got five things very, very quickly. Listen to me as I rattle them off very quick. 1 Peter and John were told to preach by Christ. He called them to. They were obedient to him. Man could not stop them. Threatenings and all of these things came about. But it could not stop them. They preached because they were called to preach. Second, they had the cure for all mankind. Having the cure for cancer, I would suddenly become the most popular person on the entire planet. Without a doubt. They had the cure for cancer. They had the cure for that sin cancer. That is in the entire population of everybody on the planet. Peter and John had it. In their bosom, in their chest, ready to be unleashed on the world. They couldn't help but to share it. It was like a fire that was caught up in their bones, as Jeremiah says. They had the cure. If I have the cure for my children and they are sick, don't think you're going to stop me from getting to them to help them. As parents, we need to be preaching to our children about Jesus Christ. To our grandchildren and to those that are around us. Don't leave it just for the preacher to do. You have the greatest cure, the only cure that can help mankind. Don't light it or let it be lit and hide it under a bushel. This is exactly what Satan wants. He wants it to be hid. And so often in the church, so often among Christians, it is hid. It's not heard. It's not seen. It is hid. They had the cure for all mankind and they were going to share it. They couldn't keep from sharing the cure with others. They had to. They were compelled to. Fourth, they shared this cure by agape love. You say, what do you mean? They counted their lives as nothing so that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ could go out into the world. And some of them, it cost them their life. What greater love? What greater love? They died for the wicked. Right? Sounds like to me that they've been under the tutelage of Jesus. Who died while we were wicked. Who died for the unjust. Who died for the ungodly. They shared this cure by agape love, counting their lives as nothing so that others could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fifth, and finally, and I'm done, 
Fifth, this shows us our need to share Christ with all, especially our loved ones. Beg and plead with them. Tell them the story. Why would we be quiet about the saving love of Jesus Christ? Listen to what it says in the text. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. What were they talking about? They were praising God about the man that was healed. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. If you have the love of Christ in you, you have that cure that the world needs. You say, I just, I can't get past, I can't get past that. It's, I'm too wise. You probably are. You need to be humbled if you can't accept it. Guys, as Christians, we have the very thing that the world needs. And Satan, through threats, through through warnings, wants us to keep who we are in Christ under a bushel. And I hate to say this, but the American modern church has really lost out in evangelism nowadays. They've covered their light up. And it's not shining as bright as it was a hundred years ago. Just didn't. When people start sending missionaries here, we got a problem. We don't need to keep it quiet. We don't need to keep it under a bushel. We need to share him with somebody. It may cost you everything. Don't keep it covered up. Share who Jesus is and what he's done for you to somebody today. Let's pray.